The editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Tim Kawakami. Tim Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on Athletic Podcast Network. Everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording from the home studio. Very, very glad to have on. Frequent guest, we're doing our regular kind of wrap-up, postseason, whatever it is. A uh, conversation with the Warriors head coach, Steve Kerr. Steve, how you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Tim? I'm doing very well. He was doing some technical stuff before he went on. He kind of messed me around. It was hilarious. He was like fixing his screen. I thought he was doing something different. So uh, he was cracking me up. Sorry about that. I'm, I am in a, in a good mood starting this because he was making me laugh. Thank you for that, by the way. Steve, I, I'll bring up you know the issue that kind of is on all of our minds right now. And, and you talked a little bit about this at your presser. Uh, you know, Bob Myers... Uh, is under contract with the Warriors only through June 30, uh, and I know how much, how close you are to him, what a great partner he's been, what a great president and general manager he's been. We know that, you know, it's still up in the air. I just wondered, you know, do you have optimism about this? Do you, I mean, do you feel like it's imminent? What, what, where are you with this decision coming down? I just think Bob is um, taking the necessary time, and I know People might think, well, he's had plenty of time. I, you really do need to wait until the season finishes in this business so that you can really breathe and and think things through. So I think that's the process Bob is going through right now. And um, I don't have a good sense one way or the other. I, I do know how hard he's worked for the last 12 years, and I know how difficult his job is. I did his job in Phoenix for three years, and being a GM is really, really tough. But, um, you know, Bob's great at it, and he has the respect of everybody in the organization, and everybody's hoping he comes back. But, um, you know, whatever he decides, we, of course, are all going to support him because he'll do what's best for for his family and for himself, and, and of course, he, he should do that. Does it come to a point where, you know, you reach out to him and say, hey, I'd love for you to stay, or, you know, other people are, might be doing that? Is, has that happened, or... You know, we used to say, hey, Bob, you make your best decision and, and I'm going to leave you alone here. I've told him several times, you know, really hope you come back, you know, but totally respect the decision, you know, one way or the other. So he he knows that and he's just taking his time, especially now that the season is over, a uh, chance to breathe and unwind and 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 really um, make the right decision. I know when you guys have made the long runs, which are good, right? Which are postseason into mid-June, that turnaround right into the draft, right into free agency has really been tough on everybody, especially everybody in the front office because they've got to be scouting while they're going back and forth to playoff games, living and dying with every game. This time with a little bit of breather there, obviously you don't want to go out in the second round, but that you have a little bit. Do you sense that... Okay, it's going to give him a little more time just to breathe, just to kind of look at things and not have to make this decision like in a two-day quick turnaround kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably the case. Um, you know, he was in Chicago the last few days for the uh, pre-draft camp along with uh, much of our front office. So, he's still working and he's you know, he's he's you know, preparing for the draft and and doing uh, everything that he normally does, but um you know, with the draft still over a month away, it definitely gives him more space to to think. We're all presuming, I think, pretty safely that 
you know, Mike Dunleavy Jr. is the number two, could you know be the heir apparent or just somebody who might even get more responsibilities if Bob stays. How well have you, how closely have you worked with Mike and, and how well do you know him? Uh, Mike and I have have uh, gotten to know each other pretty well here the last uh, couple of years since since he's been here. He and Bob are, are best friends. And I think just, um, you know, through through Bob, I've gotten to know Mike well and um, to the point now where you know, Mike and I talk pretty frequently, just, you know, calling each other, touching base on the team. And I like to get his thoughts. I mean, he had a long playing career. He's been in the NBA his entire life, basically, with his dad being a coach and general manager and player. And so Mike's got uh, a great feel for the league, great perspective, and uh, he's uh, someone I really trust. You know, change this up. You, you talked during the season, even, and definitely you brought it up again in your post-season press conference and a season presser about kind of maybe the team lacking an edge. Uh, you know, there was a different kind of modality to this team, and it's understandable. Won a championship versus two years where they didn't. But did you notice that right away? I mean, it was a natural thing, or were you a little bothered that maybe there wasn't quite that push with this team to start the season? I think it's there's always sort of a little bit of a natural tendency for championship teams to let their guard down a little bit. It's just human nature. And then I think um, the way our season started, not having a a great training camp based on two things, the uh, the trip to, to Tokyo and then uh, the incident with Draymond. I think those two things really took away a lot of our preparation time and, and probably led to the slow start, you know, three and seven out of the gates, which put us behind the eight ball. And, and really, um, you know, I think we lost our, our first six road games and, um, you know, in that, in that three and seven start. And, and it felt like we were, we were kind of climbing uphill, you know, from, from then on. And so I think that, that edge that I talked about, a lot of that was taken away by, by what happened early in the season. I don't need you to get into, you know, details and and some, I'm sure you won't, but when Draymond punched Jordan, what were you thinking? Were you thinking this is, just this crisis where you think it's just another moment. What, what, what was going through your mind? Well, you're right. I don't, don't really want to talk any details on that. I mean, it's been pretty well documented already and I've tried to be as open and honest about it as possible without, uh, you know, breaking the, the, the sanctity of the locker room. So I just think that um, it put us in a tough spot and it led to, uh, to a slow start for sure. I mean that that's about as far as I'd want to go with it. That's fair. You get to three and seven, and I remember at the time writing that I mean this was a pretty big deal. This team was going through some things. Uh, other people, oh, it's overreaction. It's only ten games, but it did feel like more than that. Do you remember? Were you thinking we got to do a recalibration here? Were you thinking I got to look at some different things? What were you thinking at three and seven, or at any point during that kind of early start when things were not going so well? Well, we were really trying to find uh, what our rotation would look like, uh, and that's part of the the difficulty of um, you know n- not being able to fully focus on practice during that 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 month that three weeks before the first regular season game. So we didn't have a ton of time to look at some of the different combinations. 
And, uh, you know, you look back at some of those early season games, we were, we were really searching rotationally for, for what combinations to play together. Uh, what would the rotation pattern look like? Um, obviously, you know, trying to, uh, to fit all the young guys in, you know, Moses and, and James and JK, trying to fit them into the rotation and also fit, you know, a couple new guys in with Dante and Jamichael. It just felt like we were searching, you know, from from an early part of the season. You've talked about Moses Moody throughout the season. He, he didn't play in the first game or two, kind of works his way back in the rotation, works his way out, and then he's playing significant minutes in the, in the postseason. Would, would that just kind of be the model for the way you look at a young player? You know what I mean? Comes in the league at 19. I mean, we know how young these guys are. 20 years old now. Young players have to go through this. I mean, I'm, I don't want to like put words in your mouth, but that that is the kind of way you view how young players work their way certainly into a, in a postseason, you know, championship hungry team that it has to kind of work that way. Well, development is not linear. You know, every young player has to go through the process of understanding the NBA and figuring out who he is and, you know, where he can make an impact. And I think in Moses's case, um, you know, he had some good good moments for us uh, last year, even in the playoffs um, against Dallas. I remember him having a couple good games, and and he's always been somebody we've been um, impressed with in terms of his maturity and his uh, perspective. So this year, you know, to to be very frank, he was not really confident um, during the middle part of the season. Couldn't find a rhythm. Part of that was he was in and out of the rotation. And as I said, we were, you know, searching for for combinations and trying to play a lot of people. And the biggest thing was we saw a breakthrough with Moses later on in the season. And you have to understand, we look at practice every single day. You know, development isn't just about what happens in the games. It's about what happens in practice every single day. And Moses had a real breakthrough late in the season in the pickup games that our guys play and the three-on-three and the individual work. You could see he he realized a lot of things, how to how to use his strength. He realized how hard he had to play, how hard he had to go after loose balls and rebounds. That translates. And um, you fast forward to the playoffs, and all of a sudden he's back in the rotation, diving on the floor uh, for loose balls, getting offensive rebounds, knocking down shots, uh, so I think Moses had a breakthrough at the end of the year, and and that's what you look for. You look for someone who's got perseverance and uh, stays with it and keeps working and and eventually breaks through. But you just don't know how long that process is going to take. Would you say Jonathan Kaminga kind of went back and forth with that? I mean, you saw some things and then didn't see some things. How how would you kind of assess what happened with him this season? I think J.K. had a really good year. You know, you look at the regular season, and he had a lot of moments, a lot of good moments. You know, the last 30 games or so with Wiggins out, it, it it really thrust J.K. into a more prominent role, and he took advantage of that. He played well, helped us win some games. I think the main thing that um, that happened in the playoffs was that Wiggs was back, and we, we had Gary Payton, and those guys um, basically, you know, were filling the role that J.K. had, had been filling uh, while they were gone. And um, there's just more experience and and um, more 
I think intuitive knowledge of the NBA and, and um, you know, awareness from those guys, as you would expect, they're much older and they've got a lot more experience. So I just went with the guys who I thought could, could impact winning more. And it uh, doesn't mean um, that we stopped believing in JK by any means. It just, just means that those were the guys that we thought would, would help us win. When I look at a way for Jonathan to get minutes, I say, you know what? I know you th- kind of you think of him as a three. He defends perimeter players. No, 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 no. I yeah. I don't think of him as you a don't? three. Okay. No, I think he's he's a four. For him to take the next step, he needs to be able to play the three as a you know an offensive player. He can play the three defensively. He can guard you know really one through four, um, but offensively to play the three. You've got to be really skilled in this league today. You've got to see the floor. You've got to be able to to make plays. And uh, right now, I, I think he's much more of a four than uh, than he is a three on the offensive end. Aren't there minutes there then for you guys? I mean, you've never really had a standard backup for, for Draymond, right? I mean, it's been Andre. It's been a different, you know, Anthony Lamb even this season. Could you see Kaminga saying, okay, let's see what you can do as the backup four and also get some minutes at three? The minutes uh, are there for him to take at the backup for uh, next year. He's got to make strides. And, and you know, he and I talked about it. Uh, the number one thing is he's got to rebound. If he rebounds and he runs the floor, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him. We've got a pretty deep team. You know, with Wiggs and Gary back, uh, we frequently play those guys at the four. You think of our small lineup, you put Wiggs at the four, put Draymond at the five, um, you know, against the Lakers to uh, to counter the way they were deploying Davis. We put Gary in because Gary's great as a diver, as a screen and dive man, finisher at the rim. And uh, JK needs to work on that as well. And um, these are things that are really detail oriented. Um, they're, they're things about the way you, you, you screen and dive and catch and finish in the lane, in traffic that just take time. And um, so that's that's why both Gary and Wiggs were playing the four in the playoffs ahead of uh, Jonathan. But um, he's entering his third year next year. He's 20 years old, got uh, a great future ahead. He's just got to keep on the same path he's he's on, but he's got to you know, make those strides, uh, like like I said, on the glass and and running the floor and you know diving in transition in uh, in pick and roll. If he does those things, then he's going to play more, and that's how you continue to grow and build your game. There was a report right after season by Slater and Shams that his Kaminga's representatives want to talk with the Warriors and and get an idea of what his role could be. They want to you know some way want a promise of a role and. You know, I know it doesn't have to be spelled out that specifically, but would you be willing to have that conversation? Have you had that conversation about what his role could be next season? That's standard in the NBA. I mean, every player has an agent, and and that agent is always going to want to look out for his clients. So, um, you know, that's usually that's more conversation with the front office. Um, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with an agent or a parent uh, about playing time, you know, uh, this is not college. So it's a little different setup, but um, our front office people often have conversations with agents and, and uh, that's the best way for that communication to happen. 
There is definitely was some interesting body language late in the season in the playoffs. I know you're coaching and you're not looking at it, but you know, as you say, everything matters. I'm sure it was been referenced to you. Some, you know, Jordan and Draymond, you know, might have had a little, you know, moment didn't look good or body language, just, you know, maybe Jonathan not even being in the huddles, that kind of thing. How much do you notice that and how much does that matter? I don't notice any of that during games. I'm I'm busy coaching. I meet with my coaches uh, in our you know little huddle before I get to the to the team huddle, and uh, I, I I never notice any of that. Um, what I uh, pay attention to is just each player's daily work. I communicate with our players all the time um, in practice, um, in between games. It's always the best time to to communicate. You know, these guys are all human. There's so much pressure on them as players. Never been more pressure on athletes than there is today with social media, with these, you know, teams all being worth billions of dollars. So I have great empathy for our players and what they go through. I don't worry about any of that stuff uh, during games. I always uh, speak with players in between games. And and as long as that line of communication is open, then uh, that's how you how you resolve anything like that. Remember going into two years ago, you you guys were all and I did it too. The fifteen and five finish to the previous season meant something, and and it clearly brought the momentum into the next season. Go start eighteen and two, and things were just were were not were going up for you guys. It wasn't fifteen and five, but are there things about this season that you're gonna say, yeah, that's a positive momentum that we're gonna take when we're gonna try to emphasize going into the next season? Oh yeah, I mean defensively. Um, I guess we played what uh, thirteen playoff games. We were one of the best defensive teams in the playoffs. You know, when you factor in the quality of your opponent and uh, the offensive rating that you keep your opponent to, uh, you know, compared to their their normal average, I think we're we were second in the in the playoffs at least when our season with ended when our series with the Lakers ended. Uh, I thought our defense was great. Clearly getting Gary back and Wiggs back changed everything. And that's what it takes. You you have to be a two-way team to win a championship. We all know that. We've watched it with our team for years. And uh, so I just thought, you know, defensively, that was uh, our biggest issue most of the season. And the way we finished winning our last six games you know, beating Sacramento, taking the Lakers to six. Our defense was there, and that's what I'm most encouraged about, you know, going into next season. I think we got a lot of things to clean up offensively. I'm really encouraged about the defense. Clay certainly, you know, had his shooting issues in in the Lakers series and some games in the previous series. You talked about him, again, in your wrap-up presser, but – does he need a little change, you know, mentally adjust to, to where he's at? Uh, I know defensively, he's basically playing a forward spot now, which is fine. But offensively, do you need to see him make any kind of adjustments to what he's doing? Yeah, I think, um, you know, and, and he and I had this conversation at the All-Star break. Bruce Frazier has talked to him about it. But, you know, older players, you, you get to a, a certain age, maybe you're banged up, maybe you've had some injuries, you, you have to adapt. You know, you, you think of any great player as as he gets older, you know, Michael Jordan added a low post game. You know, he no longer was the, the same guy as he was, you know, five, six years prior to that. You know, Magic Johnson became a really good shooter by the end of his career, 90% from the line, good three-point shooter. You have to be aware as an older player that you got to evolve. And um, I think that's 
that's a big thing for Clay this this summer is really thinking about where he can evolve, how he can get better, without giving up the memory of what was a fantastic second half of the year. You know, it's easy to say, well, his last three playoff games, oh man, he shot this or that. He made 300 threes. You know, he shot 41% from the, the three-point line. He had, a, he had a hell of a season, but he can get better in other areas. And uh, that that will be the basis of my conversations with Clay this summer. You know, when it's time to get back to work, I'm going to really talk to him about some of the things that I think he can do to uh, to help evolve. You've always ridden with Clay. He's your, your he's the guy. I'm never going to go away from him. Could you envision that he might not be a starter next season? No, no, I don't see that. You know, he's still a, a great two way player. He's got so much left to offer. He, as I said, he just just had a particularly a great second half of the season. He's still a starter in this league for sure. I didn't notice he was guarding LeBron James in game six, by the way, which is a pretty amazing thing. It's, oh, by the way, you missed two years with leg injuries. Shot's not going, but go guard LeBron, uh, obviously, because Andrew was compromised. That's something. I mean, that is not, yeah. that's not a little thing uh, for a, any human to be able to do. I want to take a look. We, we know about Steph's speech to the team the night before Game 7 and, and how motivating it was for them. They, they're still, we're still talking about it going in the Lakers series. He doesn't give these speeches very often. Were you there for that? Were you motivated? You were not there for that? No. Uh, Steph texted me the day before or the night before that practice. So I guess it was maybe right after game six, or maybe it was the morning of our practice. And he just said, hey, I'd like to grab the team, you know, for five minutes before practice uh, with nobody else. And I said, great. So I knew he was going to address them, but I didn't, um, I didn't ask, you know, what was, what was talked about. And then the story came out afterwards and um, obviously had a huge impact on the outcome of game seven. Did you notice an effect just from the way they practice? You could tell there, there, there were guys who were definitely more engaged, you know, on the bench, and and uh, there was a definitely a better vibe. Was there are there similar moments like that through the through the course of the the dynasty where there's been a speech where there's been a moment, or or was that kind of unique in that moment? No, it was unique, very unique. Yeah, you know, as I said, this this season has been unique because of everything that occurred, you know, early in the season because we never really found our groove until the very end of the season. You know, things were were definitely disjointed at times and so Steph knew he had to to say something. It, it, he's never had to before, frankly. Maybe one other time uh, in my memory, but um not really an issue in the past. What this season, you're asking a million times about Steph, and, and he's worth it. <laughs> we want to talk about Steph when he does things like that. But what did this season at age, basically turning 35, tell all of us? Like, where, where is his career? Is he just going to be great for a couple more years? Do you think that's what this season, what, what does this season tell you about Steph? Well, that he is still one of the very best players in the game, um, that all of the work he has done throughout the course of his career to take care of his body, to uh, seek improvement year after year, to be curious about uh, th things that he can add to his regimen. He is the pinnacle when it, when you, you talk about professional athletes' approaches to their craft. It doesn't get any better than, than Steph. Uh, this, it's it, it, like, he doesn't have to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go work hard. He just works hard. 
and it's just part of who he is. And he's such an incredible athlete, both from, you know, a hand-eye skill uh, standpoint, but also an endurance and strength perspective. The guy's an amazing athlete, one of the one of the best athletes in the world. So he's still, still playing at a really high level and um, still one of the very best players in the game. You really stated very well during the season. This was not the last dance. Like you, you were part of la- the last dance in Chicago. This is not it. Let me pose this, though. I mean, you have Clay on the last year's contract. We'll see with Draymond. I'm not putting you in that category. You, you have one year left in contract. I'm not putting you in that category. But could next season have more elements of that than this season? Yeah, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't uh, proclaim that, right, you know, right now. Um, but, you know, look, we, we, we know how professional sports work. We know how age works. Um, you know, th- this team is, uh, I, st- I think, is still capable of, of uh, competing for a championship. It's not going to be capable for that much longer. We just don't know what that exactly that means. It's impossible to predict. But based on the way our core guys played this year, that you can see they've all got a lot left to offer. And uh, so now it's up to us to figure out what that means this summer, you know, organizationally, you know, whether it includes Bob or not, and hopefully it does. You know, we have to all connect and figure out the the best way forward. What what do we want to do? And uh how are we going to execute? You mentioned that you want to, you love this job. You want to coach for a long time. Obviously, who knows in, in the future with what teams do. But in your mind, you know, if you could coach this team for five, 10 more years, would you take that deal right now? I think saying five or 10 more years is, um, you know, in this profession is, um, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of insane, to be honest with you. Guys, guys are getting fired left and right. So it, it's there's a there's probably a shorter life expectancy, you know, for every coach. So all I know is I I love I love coaching. I love my job. I love these guys um, and this organization. So I still want to keep doing it. I have no idea, you know, beyond next next season what that means. Um, but I'm not worried about that either. You know, I'd love to keep going and and keep this thing rolling, but. Um, it's pro sports, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's no guarantees. You're looking around, it's like, uh, it's me and Spolstra and Popovich, right? I mean, you see Budenholzer and Monty Williams and Doc Rivers of the guys who've made the finals or won a championship. I mean, I think these guys get, get rehired, right? We, we know this is happening, Nick Nurse. But do you start thinking, my God, that, that circle is really shrinking of guys who are with their teams who have won championships, who have, have been around for a while. Do you kind of feel that? Yeah, for sure. And I, I count my blessings all the time. I know how lucky I am to coach Steph Curry. Um, for the most part, when you see coaches who stick around for a long time, it's mainly because they coached superstar transcendent players. You know, um, Jerry Sloan coached the Jazz for 20 plus years, Stockton and Malone. You know, Pop in San Antonio, Duncan, Robinson, Ginobili. Like, he's got another one coming, by the way. <laughs> he's got another one coming, apparently. You know, and and uh, and I think Miami is a very unique situation. Um, but you see the strength that comes with organizational stability. You know, Miami during Eric's run there for 12, 13 years, however long he's been coaching. Is it longer? Is it fifteen? 
I can't remember. Mm, yeah, so he because he was with Riley, it kind of merges because they're like the same guy. So it's kind of hard to remember when it exactly started. But yeah, it's it's like twelve years, twelve thirty. Yeah. Years, so it. during that time, you know, they've sort of run the gamut. They've won championships. They've missed the playoffs three or four times, um, but they've sort of maintained a really strong identity organizationally and and as a team. You know, they they, they have this this strong culture and you see the power in that but generally speaking a long tenured coach is um, beholden to someone like Steph Curry and so I'm completely aware that uh, the only reason I've been here nine years is that I get to coach one of the all-time great players and human beings um, in NBA history so very lucky for that. All right, Steve, I will end this with a version of a question I ask all my guests. I don't think I've asked you this specific one though, Steve. Steve, what's your favorite restaurant right now? Uh, well, uh, I went to a place called Copra. It's an Indian restaurant a couple weeks ago um, that it just opened up. And uh, it is fantastic. Just uh, amazing food, beautiful environment. Highly recommended if you get a chance. I, I think reservations are actually pretty difficult. I think it's been packed since, since the opening, but... Uh, I would uh, definitely recommend it if you can find a spot in the city. In the city, yes, in the city. In the city, yeah. Uh, I love a good Indian. Indian food is so good. The non bread and the yes. chicken and the, yes. oh, making me hungry. Making me hungry. <laughs> All my guests do this with the, with the rest recommendations. That's why I ask. All right, Steve. Thank you so much for for the conversation. As always, I appreciate. It. Have a great off season. Uh, I'm sure we'll be checking in uh, somewhere in there, but. Uh, always good talking to you. You too, Tim. Thanks. All right. That's the show for today, everybody.